Can I just reiterate what Pastor Jeff was saying about Easter? Wasn't that fun? Easter at Emmons, wasn't that a great party? Wow, so good. Love the feedback we've been getting about just how excellent it was and, and, and how vital it was spiritually and, and how authentic the blending of our congregations was. And, and it was authentic because we, we love the people at Destiny. Keith and I are the best of friends. And it's just uh, a great way to, to demonstrate in, a, in such a wonderful way the body of Christ. And so um, we, had, we had about 26, 2,700 people there. All, the six plant churches that we've planted in the last two and a half years had about that many people as well. So we had well over 4,000, 4,500 people in all of our associated churches on Easter, and we recorded hundreds of decisions for Christ in all of those churches, uh, churches during Easter. Isn't that great? <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah. So we're just so thankful, and we appreciate that. Also, the offering at Emmons last week was over $30,000, so... Christian Ministries and Boys and Girls Club and the YWCA is going to get a nice benefit from that. We'll distribute that whole offering equally between those three, or have already, and so it's a great blessing to them too. So everybody's a winner when we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, and thank you for being part of it. Today we're starting a new series we're calling Goliath Must Fall. And the story of David and Goliath is a familiar one, I know, to you. We're going to rehearse it this morning and lay a foundation for this series. But the gist of the series is that big things stand between us and God's best plan for our lives. Big things emerge in our lives, like giants, that keep us from God's best. And so what we want to do is talk about some of those things in the next several weeks and find meaningful ways for us to overcome and I think it's going to be a blessing. So thank you for bringing your Bibles. If you don't have them, we'll project the words, of course. Let's go to the story. It's First Samuel chapter 17. I'm going to read the first 16 verses and then verses 41 to 50. Our custom is to stand to honor God's word so as you're able. Thank you for doing that. Let's, let's uh, rehearse this story. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Soko and Judah. They pitched camp at Ephes Damum between Soko and Zekah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill, the Israelites another, with the valley between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Goth, came out of the Philistine camp, his height was six cubits and a span. He's about nine and a half feet tall. He's a big boy. He could dominate in today's NBA, I'm just saying. He had a bronze helmet on his head, wore a coat of scale armor, bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. His armament was about 125 pounds. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves, bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, you know, like a fence post. And his iron point... On the end of his spear weighed 600 shekels. The tip of his spear weighed 15 pounds. So you wouldn't have to actually throw this at you. If you just let it tip over and land on you, it would do the job probably. And and he had a shield bearer in front of him for accessories, I guess. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? 
Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. And on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified, I imagine. Now David was the son of an Ephrathite named Jesse, who was from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse had eight sons, and in Saul's time he was very old. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to the war. The firstborn was Eliab, the second Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. Now let's jump over to the actual battle, verse 41. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was a little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with, a, with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it, struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone without a sword in his hand. He struck down the Philistine and killed him. And may God use this powerful story in our lives. You may be seated. Thank you so much. Twice a day, twice a day for 40 days, a giant, nine and a half feet tall, 125 pounds of armor, sword, shield, helmet, shin guards, a spear, all of that, and this armor bearer with all the accessories. Now, try to picture this Goliath, this giant. I mean, he had to be a brute of a guy. Hairy, ugly, foul. I mean, you knew he had bad breath, right? He just had to. He's scarred. He's weathered from a hundred previous battles. I mean, he's impenetrable. He's unbeatable. He's, he's a monster. And he goes out there twice a day. You bunch of babies, babies, send out a man. And he waits, you know, crickets from the other side, nothing. So that's a no. No one's coming today. You're worthless. The whole lot of you, powerless. You're weak, just like your God. I defy you, and I defy your God. It's very intimidating, very overwhelming. Saul had increased the reward 
I mean, he'd up the ante. Anybody who goes and fights and defeats Goliath, he's going to make very wealthy. He's going to eliminate the, the, the obligation to pay any taxes in the future. Let's pause just for a moment. No local taxes, no state taxes, no federal taxes for the rest of your life. Just, just let that, just imagine that. Isn't that nice? That's amazing. And you could marry the king's daughter. So all, this big bonus package was waiting anyone who picks door number one and goes and fights, defeats this Goliath. But no one was interested. Now, could we just say this out loud? Because this is actually true. And you know, this is where we had to go with this story. Plenty of us face a similar predicament every day. We're not fighting literal giants, of course, but maybe we're fighting some insurmountable challenge or problem that rips at our lives. Maybe, maybe it's fear. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's the feeling of rejection, you know, that feeling that permeates so many areas of life. Maybe it's a sneaky giant of complacency that gets us. Have you, have you ever felt like King Saul in the Israelite army? Some kind of giant stands before you, taunting, harassing, insulting, robbing you of God's best plan, God's purpose for your life. I mean, just in the way, and you know that's the big thing in your life. Now, before you say no to, to the question I just asked about, have you ever felt this way? It's likely that all of us, every last single one of us, have lurking nearby something that's taking from us or keeping us from God's best. All of us. In fact, let me just say it out loud. All of God's children have issues. You've got issues. I've got issues. You've got baggage. I've got baggage. All God's children have issues. We all face something that hinders us from God's best plan. Now, it doesn't have to be a great big thing like alcoholism or anorexia or depression, although some of you may suffer from those things. But it doesn't have to be. The good news is that God wants us to know that all of these barriers can be removed. He is ready to help those who are discouraged, demoralized, being robbed of God's best plan. He wants, you have to believe this now, God wants your giants to fall. He wants them to fall. No matter how many times you've tried and failed, no matter how many times you've tried and these loud voices in your life saying you'll never be different, you'll never change, you'll never be, be better, God says something else. And this is the foundational statement that I want you to take home with you today as we, as we just lay the first stone. You can live free. You can. And the Goliaths in your life must fall. Two-point sermon today. It's on your outline. Two points, not three, not five, not seven, not 12. Just two. You're welcome. It's a two-point sermon. I mean, come on. Here's the first point. Identify your giant. Lean into the subject. Identify your giant or your giants. Recently, a woman was mauled to death by her pet tiger. Any questions? I mean, you, got, you get it, right? Here's probably what happened. 
When the woman first met the tiger, it was all cute and cuddly and a little cub. She took it home. She played with it. It was soft, playful, and she loved that tiger, gave it a nice place to live. She found it endearing. A bond was formed, all that stuff. She probably gave her pet tiger cub a name, like Moshi or Boo Boo or Stripey or Elwood, something like that. You know the rest. You know the rest. And it's not much different with our giants. The habits, the behaviors, the faulty beliefs, the same old broken ways that happen to us. When they first come into our lives, they're just small little things. Maybe even friendly. Maybe even cuddly. Maybe even reassuring. But then they grow up. And they get hungry. And they get mean. And they get demanding. And it begins to ruin your life. I have my own pet giant since we're trying to identify our giants. I am a firstborn perfectionist. I am the son of a mother who was a firstborn perfectionist. I get it honestly. Perfectionism, I can report after living with it now for many decades, is a nasty giant. It's nasty. It leads directly to a performance-based acceptance model. And over time in my life, I began to believe that my self-worth and my value as a person was based on how I perform. Now, let me just also testify that I am much, much better than I used to be. But I suspect that I'm going to be in recovery my whole life. Now, two, ten, two tendencies have resulted in my life because of this, uh, sinful tendencies, either side of the same coin. On one side, my sinfulness manifests in control and self-reliance. Con being a controlling person is bad. It's nasty. It's sinful. Being a person who is self-reliant is utter deception because no one is self-reliant in any way. I mean, you need Jesus just to, for your heart to beat the next time. You can't, you don't have any control over anything. No one is self-reliant. So to think that you are, or to believe that you are, that's sinful behavior. Uh, so that's one side of my sin coin. And the other side of my sin coin manifests in self-loathing and anger. self-destructive patterns and behaviors. So destruction in relationships and destruction in my own, my own psychology, my own system. Recently, our oldest son, who is our firstborn and suffers, he got in my car. And Aaron, raising the boy, he knew that I wanted my car clean all the time because of the perfectionism. So my car was always pristine on the inside and the out. So he got in my car and he noticed it was a little dirty. And he, and he immediately wondered. He said, why don't you keep your car as clean like you used to? I said, it's part of my therapy. <laughs> and that's the answer. Every time I get in my car now, I have to overcome the urge to clean it. Every time. And I do it just as a very small way of reminding myself, 
It's never going to be perfect. And that's got to be okay. Because it is. It's like normal. Now, some of you would get in my car and you might go, you call this dirty? This isn't dirty. <laughs> you should see my car. If you want to see a junk pile, it's just going to get in my car. I mean, we ate, we ate two two-week-old stale french fries out of our car. I mean, it's a, nothing. Kids get hungry. Just dig under the seat there, son. There's some french fries under there. <laughs> Don't eat if it's, if it's green. Otherwise, it's fine. Yeah, you're laughing. Yeah. So it's not all bad. Because here's what God does. God will actually take the baggage that you have and the tendencies that you have and the wrong pot, thought patterns that you have, these, these, these big things that develop in our lives, and God will actually use those very things in a redemptive way. So those patterns under the lordship of Jesus Christ can be healed, and then those tendencies can be used for God's glory. God does it all the time. He, he never wastes our suffering. He never wastes our pain. He never wastes our wounds. He never wastes any of those, those negative tendencies. He will take those things and redeem them so that those, those areas of your life where you can be healed can be applied in other people's lives for God's glory or applied to your own life and relationships to enhance the way you go through the world. So in my case, my tendencies, which manifest in these sinful behaviors under the lordship of Christ, also allow me to be a visionary and an achiever, and a persister. You know that, that value of diligence, that diligence value, which is a godly biblical... I, I got that. I know, I know how to like serve in one place for 40 years and go hard for 40 years. That's called persistence. That's a long obedience in one direction. And there are benefits to that. God has redeemed that. You agree? God, see, God uses that stuff. It makes me a dreamer. It makes me a mastermind. So I, I can develop things and see them, see them actually work. And so all of those are benefits to, to me under the lordship of Jesus. So that's the good news. God is in the redemption business. He wants to, you to overcome the stuff that hinders you and, to, and allow his grace and power to use you in more effective ways. So, well, there's a couple of my giants. So what about you? I want you to think about this. I want you to work on identifying your giants. We're laying a foundation today. For example, your giant may be called fear. And maybe fear rules your life. And it's not like you walk around shaking in your boots all the time, but in your most honest moments, you know that anxiety is a big piece of who you are. It, it, it makes you really dread certain circumstances. Maybe being alone or being in a certain environment. The fear has begun to dominate. And at the end, of the end of the day, you know that fear, worry, anxiety is actually diminishing God's best plan for you. Maybe you're battling rejection. This is a big thing in today's culture. You grew up in a performance-based environment. Because of that, you're afraid that if you don't get everything perfect, you're not going to get the approval that you need. Listen to me now. I'm talking to people. If you ever take a break, if you ever turn in something that's less than perfect, or if you ever say the wrong thing or show up in the wrong outfit, if you ever go slower than the frantic pace you're going on now, then somehow the approval you feel you need will be out the window. For you, it might be rejection. 
Maybe there's a giant in your life called comfort. Let me explain. Comfort isn't wrong if, if we're talking about genuine rest that refreshes us. I mean, this is the Sabbath. This is a God-ordained rhythm for our lives. We all need rest. But comfort can become a huge problem if it morphs into things like complacency or entitlement or self-indulgence. These are not good. Too often you embrace the easiest path or the bare minimums or the cush job. So you, you choose the spoils of life rather than finding the path Jesus calls you to. So the church goes, get involved and serve, and your first instinct is, that's going to be too hard. I'll choose some other way. Can I just remind you that the Jesus way is rarely the path that's easiest? <laughs> just rarely. Maybe, maybe your giant's comfort. Maybe another big thing in your life that harms you is anger. Not rage necessarily, yet something smolders inside of you. You can't keep a lid on your temper. You know, every once in a while you lash out and you don't even know why. Why did I get angry there? So, something jumps out of you and you wish you could take it back. You know this anger is shutting down God's best for you, but you just can't seem to get a handle on it. It's anger. Or maybe you're just flat out stuck in some addiction. Now, the, lots of addictions taunt us. And most of us, there are very few exceptions that, where you find a person who's really not addicted to something. In fact, I just say, there aren't any people who aren't addicted to something. Everybody's got, got these tendencies. And the addiction may be to a substance or it may be to a behavior that's controlling us. We can name the ones that are most prevalent, uh, alcohol, drugs, porn, gambling, shopping, binge eating. You, know, you don't have to raise your hand, but we're talking about ourselves, right? Or maybe the addiction is something more subtle, like a wrong kind of friend or the wrong kind of thinking, a thought. Maybe we always feel we need to be the caretaker of other people, you know, doing for other people what they should be doing for themselves, and so we enable their dysfunction by taking care of them. People get addicted to that. Or we feel victimized if, if people don't give us the respect or love we think we deserve. You know, victimization is a huge thing in today's culture. In fact, being a victim is actually now described, defined as virtuous. So if, you, if, you're, if you've been victimized in the culture, you become very popular. But let me, just say, let me just remind you of something. If the central focus of your identity is a victim, you will never take one step in a positive direction. You will only go backwards. I'm not saying you haven't been victimized. People get victimized all the time, and it's wrong, and it's bad, and sometimes it's downright evil. So people get victimized all the time, but if the central focus of the understanding of who you are as a person is a victim, then expect to go backwards in life, not forward. You won't take one step forward if you perceive yourself primarily as a victim of anything, any category, you name the category. You'll be going backwards in life, not forward in life. I'm helping someone now. So you have to, you have to overcome the giant of victimization because it's a giant for you. And culture just, culture encourages you. Are you a victim? Oh, be a good one. It's crazy. 
Because it diminishes you. It doesn't help you. Yeah. Maybe, maybe you're always defensive or you're a person who's always critical. You, know, you just can't find a good thing to say about anything or anyone. Or you manipulate people, control people. You know, that's bad. That's not good. Or, or you're a blamer. Blame is on the rise in our culture. You know, if it wasn't for him and it wasn't for her, if it wasn't for them, if it wasn't for that company or that circumstance, I would be a much different person in a different place. And so you just blame. People go through their whole lives blaming everything and everyone else for their state. Hmm. You don't want to be a blamer. People get addicted to making excuses for why they are what they are. So our feelings have this way of ultimately damaging, destroying the relationships that really matter, and we're not sure what to do. And so what happens oftentimes is people just come to a place in their life and they say, well, look, this is just the way I am. Maybe they've tried to overcome. Maybe they've tried to do better. They've tried to get healing and it's just not working out. And so they just kind of give up and give in and, and they say, look, this is the way I am. So either accept me the way I am or forget it. And when people say that to themselves or say that out loud, they actually believe themselves. Well, that's just the way I am. So take it or leave it. Most days they believe. But it's a giant, and it's a problem. It needs to be removed. And so we ask the question, then, how do you get rid of these giants? What do you do? Well, Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, destroy, but I've come to give you life and give it to you more abundant. So it starts with seeing and believing that whatever big thing you're battling, it may be big, but it's not bigger than Jesus. And that's the second point of the sermon. We're already to the last point. Write this down. may be big, but it's not bigger than Jesus. So every day, watch this, Goliath would come out and he would yell his insults at the army of Israel. This goes on for 40 days. The Israelites are intimidated, they're demoralized, they're immobilized, they're frozen by fear. These are Israelites who had known the goodness of God. They had seen the miraculous of God in their nation's history. God had miraculously pulled them out of Egyptian slavery, miraculously provided for them in the wilderness. The Red Sea parts, manna, water, the Lord's directing them, pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night, miraculous signs. I mean, the first city they, they come to in the, in the land of promise, the city of Jericho, I mean, the walls fall down under the power of God. So these are, these are folks who have God with them, God's provision, God's perfect, perfect, protection, God's miraculous abilities. But they forgot. They forgot. And so the latest giant, the newest giant, the most recent giant totally immobilizes them. And, you, and from hindsight, you look and you go, what's the matter with those guys? Don't they know God's with them? Yeah, but we need to look in the mirror, don't we? Because every time a new giant faces us, we go, oh, and this one's too big. Oh, this, that, well, that's a bad one. And we forget. We forget what God has done. We forget what God can do. We forget that God has promised to never leave us. We forget that God has promised that he's going to give us everything we need. And so we wobble and we hesitate. So on the 40th day, this kid named David, he's just delivering cheese and bread to his brothers. And then he's got to get back home and tend the sheep. And it's just the timing worked out that day that as he makes his way into camp, Goliath is making one of his two daily appearances 
And David then steps up and looks at this giant to hear him say, you idiots are actually putting your trust in the God of Israel? Your God is worthless. Your God is weak. He's nothing, just like you're nothing. Our God can smash your God. And David is hearing this, and this righteous indignation comes up inside of this boy. And he says, who's that overgrown Mongol yelling at? What is he saying? And then across from the the valley again, your God is weak. And David said, oh, no, no, somebody's got to shut him up. Someone's got to shut him up right now. We can't let this go on for 10 more minutes. No, 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 I'll fight him. No, you guys won't fight him. I'll go fight him because someone needs to shut him up. And we're not going to have this. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Run of a kid, no armor, no sword, no shield, no training, no chance. And they go through this whole ritual of trying to you know, dissuade him, try to Saul's armor on him. That doesn't fit. This isn't going to work. They take this stuff off. But David reminds them, you know, I've got credentials here. There are two things I've been up to. David said, I am a worshiper of God, and I've been writing songs and poems and worship to God. And those songs and poems have been based on the history of God's miraculous provision for our people. And he said, I know the history. I haven't forgotten. I know what God can do. And I, I sing about it. And he said, the other thing on my resume is that there have been a lion and a bear attack my father's flock. He said, I killed them both with my hands. I'm not a novice at fighting. And with no other likely candidate, they let him go doesn't matter the size of the problem, my friends. God's power and might are always greater. It may be big, but it's not bigger than Jesus. Yeah, that's right. So we know what, we know what Goliath represents in this story, right? I mean, we can make the application. This, this is illustrative. This is, a, this is an example. This is a model of our own, like a metaphor of our own issues. So you've got a Goliath here, and we can identify that. Well, that's anger or fear or rejection or addiction or complacency. It's, some, it's one of those things. And so we, we see that Goliath is a big obstacle in God's way. But who is David in the story? Who's David? Well, the first instinct we have is that, well, the David represents us. And, and if you've ever been to a youth camp or some kind of youth retreat in your life, you've probably heard this story because me and many others will stand up and preach from this text and say, you know, David was young and you're young. And David had great faith and you can have great faith. And David was bold in attacking his problem and you can be bold in attacking yours. And David overcame his giant. You can overcome yours. And it's, pre- it's inspiring. And it's, 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 it's good preaching. I want to just twist it. Let's assume that the Goliath does represent the big things in our life that keep us from God's plan. But let's now identify who David is in the story. Not you, not me. Let's say David is Jesus in the story. Now the picture changes. I'm going to make a statement right now. I'm going to put it on the screen. I'll just put it up there right now. Here it is. This is the main point for today's sermon. Come back. In fact, come back to me. Hi, everyone. 
Nice to have you in the room. You remember where you are? You're in church. The pastor's about to give you the main point. So if you missed everything up to this point, no problem. If you get this and miss everything else, you're good to go. All right? We're laying a foundation. Here's the statement. Look at it on the screen. All the changes God wants in our lives is more about trusting and less about trying. You have to let that soak in. All the changes God wants in our lives is more about trusting, trusting Him, and more about trying, and less about trying. What if Bill Gates, you know, Bill Gates is one of the richest men in the world. What if Bill Gates wrote you a check? And he wrote it to you, put your name, paid to the order of you, your name, filled out the amount, one billion dollars. That's billion with a B. One billion dollars. And he signs it, hands you the check. It's a legitimate check, absolutely real. One billion dollars. How many of you would agree that a billion would pretty much cover it? I mean, you, I mean, you could go from there, right? A billion is one thousand million dollars. So if if you had a billion, you were a billionaire, you might say, "I really don't have to worry about money anymore." Would you agree? I mean, I mean that would cover it. Is there anyone here that a billion wouldn't quite cover your problems? I mean, really, you're good to go with a billion. What if Bill Gates handed you that check and then you decided not to cash it? You just put it in your pocket, put it in your purse, just carried it around. But you never took it to the bank. You never applied it. You never invested it. You never realized it. When I say that, you're, you're sitting there, it's inc incredulous, right? Well, no one would not do that. That's crazy. Why are you even mentioning that? That's just a goofy thing to say. Yes, but what, wait a minute. Look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. I'll put it on the screen. Look at this. His divine power, look at this. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Now, this is what, this is what God has promised to us. Look at it. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him and called by His own glory and goodness. Everything we need. Everything we need. There's the promise. All the joy, all the value, all the purpose, all the hope, all the comfort, all the power to resist, the power to change, the power to live a godly life, all the guidance we need marked by pathways to live for Him. This has all been promised to us. Everything we need. Say that phrase with me. Everything we need. Everything we need to live a godly life. It's, a, it's remarkable. Here's what we're taught in our culture. From an early age, we're taught to be proud and strong and independent. But Jesus invites us to rest and to trust and to depend on Him. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. But what happens to us in our culture, in the, in the Christian culture, is we slowly begin to believe the power to change is Christ plus something. Christ plus counseling, Christ plus uh, my intellect, Christ plus my bank account, Christ plus my willpower, Christ plus what? Something else. Christ plus. But what the Bible teaches is that our freedom is based on Christ plus nothing. Christ plus nothing. The power to change is simply Christ. <laughs> He's the only one who can break the chains. He's the only one who can open the doors. He's the only one who can shut down the lies. He is God, and there is no other. 
He is a God of grace. He is a God of kindness. He is a God of compassion, a God of love. He is a God who would sacrifice his own son for you and me. He is the Lord and he is God and there is no other. And he's given us everything we need to live a godly life. So change isn't the result of a formula. And change may not be immediate for you. I've already confessed that I'm probably in recovery for the rest of my life. Your giant might not disappear in an instant, but you have the name and you have the power and you have the authority of the blood of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. You have the power of the cross, the power of Jesus' resurrection. And so your giant, giant may be big, but your giant is not bigger than the name of Jesus because he is everything you need. Amen, 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 amen. So there's the foundation. We identify the big things in our life, and we're going to attack those things. We're going to talk about those things. Next week, we're going to talk about fear. Fear must fall. If you're a person who finds, find, you know, if you're like a world-class, like a professional warrior, this will be for you. Just to encourage is bigger, and he will give you everything you need. Now, believe it. Believe it. It's true. So believe it. Amen? All right, let's pause and pray. Lord, we thank you this morning for your wonderful word, this story which is so illustrative of your willingness to come to our aid, to fight for us. It's not about anything else. It's about our trust in you. So, Lord, teach us, teach us this truth and help us to assimilate it into our lives. And whatever those big things are in front of us, God, give us the grace that we need to overcome each one. In all these ways, we give you thanks, especially for Jesus' sake, we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us now?